Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Played in Full, episode 12, Barbenheimer part 1. Brought to you by four Barben made brothers, if I can say so myself, considering the weekend. And today we shall be talking about Greta Gerwig's Barbie. And um, yeah, joined by my regular co-hosts. Um, format's a bit different today, so I'm just going to start from order of business. Who arrived here first, I'm assuming. So, Ross, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, I- I'm not too bad. A slightly stressful day, uh, currently doing some assessments as part of uh, an apprenticeship thing I'm doing. So slightly stressed, but I am very eager to talk about Barbie. Yeah, I love it. Well, yeah. I'm going to bring the Kennedy. <laughs> you know, I love that. And also we have Scully. How could Ross have arrived here first to pass out the room? I don't care. I just I said assumed. <laughs> like, I, well, I just assumed. Well, if you looked in the in the group chat, yeah. Well, I sent the link. Yeah. Ah, my bad. My bad. My fault, OG. <laughs> my fault. Um, yeah, life is life is calm. I'm a bit, I'm actually really really ill. I was like so run down. I didn't go to work today. Madness. I did a couple of Zoom meetings and then just slept. Before I had COVID, but I did a COVID test. I don't. My voice is going a little bit, so sorry to the listeners if I sound like, yeah, 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 just a bit. Mm. But yeah. Whenever I hear about COVID, you know what just rings into my mind? Like that, that Kano to, um, what's his face? Bashy and Top Boy. Still going on about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like but yeah, but I hear it. Like, you've got to be, health is wealth, man. So, yeah, I hope you get better soon. And we also have CJ. The our resident, what do you call it, rapper slash MC performer, <laughs> high energy prick majority of the time. But he's our guy, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I had a great weekend with my friends <laughs> um, at Barbie. Um, I saw Jude far too much last weekend. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. So um, it was good, man. Um, but I just want to let everyone know, just for this episode, we're going to play this really quickly. That is your warning. That's our spoiler alert. Leave the party if you have not watched Barbie now, because we're going to be talking about it. Everything Barbie. Proceed, guys. I appreciate. It. I appreciate that because, yeah, man. As I said, the episode is about Barbie and the whole spectacle of Barbenheimer. We've been talking about this for. 
what's felt like a good several months now. I feel like when we all even linked up to put this together, Oppenheimer was one of the films that popped up and also Barbie. And um, I think it's probably first, it's only right to even just go with like the first shouts that we had about it. I always knew it was going to be an exciting film. Um, Scully, you actually said you were going to enjoy this more than Oppenheimer. And considering the weekend, I think you're right. But actually, let's go back. We, I feel like we need to actually explain what happened this weekend, how it all came together, and what we actually got up to. So, Ross, care to explain like how... Yeah, sure. Work? Explain the proper so, version, Ross. Okay, yeah, fine. CJ's <laughs> so salty about the whole situation. Wait, so, no, no, let's not let Ross explain. Let's let Ross yeah, explain. Wow. Where he betrayed us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I even forgot. I forgot. Yeah. Ross, yeah, no, Ross shouldn't be explaining. Ross, he should be defending himself in a court of law. Yeah, 100%. I'll start and then we'll move on like, one by one. Basically, cool. long story short, uh, obviously we started this pod because we all love films. We want to discuss films together. And the first film that we thought we could all get in the cinema and watch together as a group, it was only right. It was Barbenheimer. We discussed it, planned it from ages. Ross got the tickets ahead of time. He said, yo, I'm going to get five. Mariah came down. Big up Mariah. Shout out Mariah. He helped us put this pod together and that set up. We, um, yeah, we all worked together to get some Barbenheimer tees. Everybody got their own individual one. They looked wavy. We were gassed. We linked up at like 11.30 on a Sunday just to be together. We could have been praying in the house of the Lord, but we said, nah. It could have been anywhere else in the world. Try and become God and uh, commit mass genocide. And yeah, we went to the IMAX cinema, BFI IMAX in South London. Very gassed to be there. Watch Oppenheimer, double billing, finish that, straight to a Mexican restaurant, then into Barbie after a few drinks. Quality day, 10 out of 10. Shout out Mariah, by the way, who joined us. Mariah was saying he loved it as well. I think we're going to have many more played in full screenings. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to the time that we can host our own screenings. Oh, I can't have wait. some of our listeners come in and join us for films, um, even film club. That's going to be sick. But um, You know, I feel like, sorry to even interject there. I should have raised my hand, one of the exactly. new features. However, um, I just wanted to put out there, I feel like we're in such a beautiful moment for films, the appreciation of it. Um, the access that we have to certain events and all of these things. And yeah, it's always fun to just share that. So I'm pretty sure like soon we're going to be linking up with even other fellow like film reviewers and stuff and doing much more content viewings. And yeah, man, I just can't wait to see what's, what's to come. Cause yeah, as you said, that was a 10 out of 10 weekend. And um, for me, that's probably going to be my most memorable cinema day, especially in a group. Ever. So thank you guys, man. Like that was that was sick, innit? Wow, we actually started with positivity. Yeah. And CJ, how about yeah, you? You want to explain how you I'm gonna tell you what actually happened. Wow. So, like okay. Scully said, we went to the cinema, we're in Oppenheimer now. We've got we've got seats. I thought the seats were far enough back, but yo, listen, the screen was so big, my <laughs> neck was hurting, it was crazy. Three hour bro, my neck was sore. Anyway. I've come out the cinema now, but pause, no, no, no. Pause, fact, pause, pause. pause, 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 pause. Um, yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. Edit um, point. Edit point. 
Edit, um, no, nah, we ain't editing that. No, 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 we ain't editing that. Anyway, no, listen, listen, listen. So I'm in the cinema now, and obviously, I'm sitting next to Scully. Jude's uh, next to Scully, and then Ross is next to Jude, and then Mariah's um, like on the on the, on the next row. So I've looked back now. Mariah's like Mariah's <laughs> sleeping, um, and then he woke up when the when when the bomb went off. But like through the film. I'm like looking at Scully, looking at Jude, and like we're getting gas, you know, because we've got work our first time doing this stuff. But I'm looking at Russ at some points, and I'm like, "You look, you don't look like you're phased by this, like th- like things that are happening." Wait, wait, like, hold on, DJ, you're breaking up. Yo, you're I thought that was up. just me for a second. Oh, yeah. you're joking? Yeah, yeah your your microphone was hard and oh, shaking, you're bro. Joking? You're joking? Yeah, it come like it come like Russ has got some, like FBI and just. What, this did you see his hands? Man, man put his hands, Texas suffering real quick. All of a sudden, CJ's max up going, hey, wow. You know what you're doing? You know when my man's controlling You're going to listen back to that recording and it's just going to be me speaking at the top. You know in Harry Potter when they're playing the game of Quidditch and my man's doing the speech over it and it's like possessed it. That's what Russ was doing. Yeah. Anyway, am I back now? Am I back now? Am I back now? Apparently, apparently, yeah. allegedly. So, flipping, I'm looking at Scully and Jude, and we're getting gas because this is new things that we saw, like new new stuff. Anyway, I'm looking at Russ, and Russ is there, like plain face. So I'm like, huh, that's a bit weird. We get out of the cinema. Guess what, Russ says? Oh yeah, I watched it with my missus on Friday. Fuck you, Russ. <laughs> Fuck you. You, absolutely. I was so disappointed. You are my favorite on this uh, part. That's hilarious. Uh, you know what's so funny as well? Because like, I was sitting right next to him, innit? Like, I felt like I was talking to CJ and Scully for a majority of the film, and that felt weird, innit? Because normally, you, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's two seats away, and I'm here, I'm thinking, bro, why are we talking so much? Every time something incredible was happening on screen, I was looking at Russ, and he was just like, just nodding his head, like, yeah, I get yeah, it now. Yeah. And I'm thinking, bro, like, w- like, what? Has he seen the future? Like, like what? Like, oh, what? Just like, that. That. Or just, like, just like the thinker, just kind of like this. <laughs> just like, my, kind of just like no, my, my hand on my chin, just nodding, like, mm, okay. I like literally, Russ. like, 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 the, like, the soundtrack was, like, building up, and then, like, Russell just ease into a position, like, Oh uh, yeah, no, this part. Let me just prepare myself. Everyone else was screaming. Listen, Russ, the listeners will want to know why did you cheat on us? <laughs> I mean, wow, that is that's a big question. Um, <laughs> Wait, why did you not come prepared for this? Surely you knew we were going to like, you knew we were gonna get I mean, bro. Yeah, but clearly, clearly I thought this would be next week. I thought I had at least a week to prepare. Oh, no, trust me. <laughs> Barbie first. I thought the Oppenheimer to, anger. We might to, not talk about this today. We had to, we had to explain the week, week, entirety of the weekend. You get it? We had to explain I mean, what, yeah, what is, we went through. That is true. And you know, and this is just such a big part of it. I can see you him know. formulating his answer. And he's <laughs> yeah. killing me. Like, you, you, really you, you, you literally <laughs> took the Heimer out of Barb Benheimer. You just, you, you <laughs> just, just came out as a Barb. Yeah, you're just a Barb. You're just a Barb. 
I've got a theory. And it, I think Russ watched both of the films and he saw how mad we were at uh, Oppenheimer. And he's, you know what? I'm not telling them. I bet he watched Barbie on Saturday. I bet yeah. I bet yeah. Yeah, there's no That's, way he took it? his girl to see Oppenheimer and he didn't take. Yo, that is there's hilarious. no way. No, she's I'm anti-Barbie. Anti-Barbie. There's anti-Barbie. no way. Anyway, Mr. Taylor, oh, expect. <laughs> She's oh, into that. She's not a, into she's a Killian that. Murphy guy. She's yeah. a Killian Murphy guy. That's it. I had the pressure. I had to go. Okay. Have you got any words for yourself, though? <laughs> um, I don't regret anything. I'll fucking do it again. When you were doing his big blue eyes, you weren't thinking, bro, how can I lie to these guys? You were afraid to Wait, to wait until after the whole three oh, hours yeah. to be like, yeah, actually, by the way, guys, I've, I've seen this. But you, you all, know, all I, oh. can I say, the reason why I had to tell you was because I did see it on Friday early. And yeah, I'm, I apologize. I ruined the special occasion of our first group watch <laughs> by, yes, cheating on you all. But I came out of that screening in Southampton on Friday night to find out that Unbeknownst to me at the time, there was a humongous fire down the Slampton docks. So it came out of seeing Oppenheimer about dropping the end of the, the bomb that can destroy the world to find that the whole of the city Southampton Centre was just covered in smog, thinking like, what the fuck has oh, just shit. happened? Yeah. Is yeah, this 4D? Like, what is going on out there? That's mad. 4DX Oppenheimer, you know? Are you mad? Are you mad? That's the best marketing ever. <laughs> I mean, they were late with it, but they, once they you know, started it, they nailed it. Oh, no, that is brilliant. But yeah, man, like, obviously, that's how we we kicked off our Barbenheimer watch. But then eventually... I want to shout out. Mm-hmm. Before we go on, I want to shout out Pitch House Central for their special Barbenheimer drinks deal. Oh, yes. Two cocktails for £14, uh, the Pink Lady and the Manhattan. So you could you could be a Barbie and you could be a broody melancholy scientist in the same session. You know what? Importantly, yeah. Drunk. You know what? That's that's even, I think that's even a great like segue into, I feel like it's only right to talk about Barbie's marketing before we even talk about the movie, because I must have said this in hindsight after seeing the movie, but I was just thinking this is probably the best marketing film that I have seen in this day and age. I can't speak of, you know, the old, old premieres and and stuff like that because forms of media have changed and evolved. But what, what Barbie done as a whole force to create the hype for this film has been tremendous. And even looking at like, the box office stats, it's almost doubled um, Oppenheimer's weekend sales, right? But even though Oppenheimer's still a grand event, Barbie is actually, by the numbers, you can look at it and say it's kind of blowing out of the water, but then you're looking at a profit-loss thing. And yeah, that was... Yeah. What were you going to say? I mean, like, you, you look at like the marketing campaign, and I think they said that, I think the movie was about... 140, 145 million or something to actually kind of make and produce. And it was 150 million just for marketing as well for Barbie. So massive amounts of money thrown into it, but it's already made 377 like worldwide. And this is just the start. That's like, that, that's the opening weekend. And it's going to have weeks and months and probably months ahead of it to go. So this thing is going to break a billion so fast. And you, that marketing campaign is just going to have paid off massively. And it's going to be the biggest hit for Warner Brothers this year, 
but it also means that they're only just about going to claw back the money they wasted on things like The Flash. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And CJ? Um, I don't know if anyone saw, but uh, there was a there was a thing from one of those um, Twitter uh, blogs, and it said that six percent of moviegoers um, actually went to see Oppenheimer because Barbie was sold out. So it's actually doing it a favor as well, um, which I saw. I don't know how they got that stat, but yeah, it was from like Variety or something. But um, yeah, I saw that stat, so I just think that's good to, to add it. That's crazy. That's trickle down economics of cinema. I don't think I've ever seen a stat like that. But that is that, is, that is so bad. Imagine going to knowing your film, more people viewing it because the film they want to see is sold out. It's mad interesting. But I think to Ross's point and to Jude's point, spending so much on marketing, obviously in the line of work that I do, marketing is very important. I'd say it's like thirty percent of the job. And I think sometimes people forget that that is a thing like it's all great making a great piece of art great piece of music or not an entire film all of this but if nobody consumes it art isn't solely made for consumption but in in the place where we are right now we are we are creating with the idea that it will be consumed and if nobody can take in your art it's almost futile so i hope this spurs more films to be more creative with their marketing i want people to actually try I think the greatest marketing campaign I've seen in my lifetime after this is probably the ones that come to mind are Pokemon movie and Star Wars The Phantom Menace. I remember getting a really special cup from, I think it was like McDonald's or my cereal or something that had Star Wars The Phantom Menace on it. And these times I'm like seven or eight, so I've not really got into Star Wars, but because I'm seeing all these billboards about and all these special toys and that, I'm thinking, yo, this is sick. Like, I need to watch this. I need to get into it. And obviously Pokemon, I'm already into Pokemon, but the fact that it's such a big, oh, you go to a cinema and you get a rare Pokemon card and, oh, you're opening up your Kellogg's and you get like mm. a little Pokemon toy, all of this stuff. It's spurring me. Like my mum is realising how much this film means to me. It's not a thing of, oh, just watch it when it, whenever it's on DVD or the bootleg man has a copy. She's like, okay, this is clearly like a big deal. You need to go and see it. Yeah, it's, it's cultural moments, literally. Russ? It's kind of interesting as well, like, um, kind of to two points there, like, so, you know, you're talking to kind of about, um, obviously, like, kind of the fact that some people went to go see Oppenheimer because Barbie had sold out. It's kind of funny that Warner Brothers kind of intentionally marketed Barbie for this kind of exact release date because it kind of clashed with Chris Nolan, and they're a little bit salty, the fact that he abandoned Warner Brothers for Universal. And they kind of felt a bit betrayed by him for kind of ditching them from the past. But actually, if probably given him one of the biggest openings of his career especially for something like that's a, a non i guess ip so like i think the only thing that's bigger was kind of dark knight which i guess is to, to sort of be expected so they've actually done him a massive favor and then you know i think also the fact that that marketing campaign i think the probably one of the better things as well is actually when you get into picture House central and actually across pretty much every single cinema which i can't remember the last time i went to see a film mm. where everyone is dressed up either in pink or in Barbenheimer shirts like we were and there was just kind of like a mass sort of euphoria everyone is there for the exact same thing to enjoy themselves and have that kind of experience and I think that's what was refreshing to see you know I think there have been big movies since you know the things like pandemic ended and to say that cinema and movies are back but to have everyone actually kind of on that same wavelength in on the kind of 
not necessarily in on the joke, but in on the kind of enjoyment factor of it all, I think was incredible. Apart from CJ, who wouldn't get in the box. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I agree with all of those that comments on the, the marketing and even the approach. Like, even as you were saying that, Russ, I saw this and this whole moment as such a multi-layered thing down to like the the ideas of the films to the creation of it the marketing of it and the the business around it you've got like the people who are in charge and obviously with the strikes going on right now there's an argument that the creators aren't receiving so much it's not really reflective of what these films and these products can make for these businesses and then you've got the actual films themselves like Oppenheimer and Barbie, I feel like these are such moral, f- morally focused ideas. And it's just so ironic that we're looking at, at the, the bigger scale of things and how, as you said, it's like Barbie came out with the intention of putting a downer on Nolan's like new release. But it's worked out to help each other. And I think that really shows like the social aspect and power of film like I don't think if anyone was to um, say for example when we're looking at like the entirety of the spectacle I feel like social media created that it wasn't like Barbie came out and said hey Barbie Barbenheimer or Oppenheimer came out with the same intention Twitter Instagram TikTok created the spectacle and probably produce tens of millions if not hundreds of millions in the process and yeah i think that should be we should honor that and respect those kind of moments and the power of it and yeah man it's produced like a wonderful wonderful weekend for us and i'm sure for many others i think it's also really interesting that point of this came about sort of kind of just naturally just from audiences just jumping on kind of like making a joke jumping on the bandwagon and then just keeping it rolling it's just a very kind of natural push and as we've got closer and closer obviously um you know the kind of studios and other people and kind of brands as it were kind of started to jump in on it as well but actually that kind of did come out just from fans actually kind of enjoyment of it and it's going to be interesting to see if studios try and force that again in the future because i think that will fail if they try to force and replicate that, it's just, it's not going to work. Yeah. You say that, you say that, but I was definitely about to say studios are 100% going to try and do this. I think, so there's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? So obviously we've talked about on this pod, multiverse fatigue, the tiredness and the kind of cookie cut away they're making marbles. I think there's something more I have to say on that and I'll discuss, but like let's focus on the negative right now this is the way the marvel studio is being run and the way they're pumping out films that are like other films and trying to run the franchise thing barbenheimer showed that audience are really hungry for different things they want to see everything else but the stuff we're getting served and we're getting served a lot of the same stuff i think top gun maverick helped prove that i think mission impossible will be something that helps prove that i think everything everywhere all at once is a great example of that I think Barbenheimer is also a great example of that. My only issue is I feel like these things are so successful, studios will not be able to help themselves and will instantaneously try and make them happen again. <laughs> like they'll just be like, oh, well, everyone loved this. We should just do it one more time. It's like, no, we did. We loved it because it was different. 
we loved it because you tried to do something different and the different thing happened as opposed to this was a this was a manufactured moment it's very hard to manufacture these viral moments and it's been quite clear that the studios don't actually know what we like or when we're being serious because remember when the whole internet was joking about uh morbius and the studios took it seriously and re-released it and lost money and it's like bro, that was clearly a joke like the film is shit. <laughs> yeah we did not want to see it again we do not want to see morbius 2 it's morbid time like there is stop making these films and then they just came back away with craven like like they they haven't got a scooby or rather they do have a scooby but the people at the very top are so obsessed with PL profit and loss and like minimizing risk that they would rather do these unoriginal less risky things than take chances on original ips and original stories and create these moments that we know and love you know what if it, it, it oddly feels like succession now that I've watched it far enough, in the sense that these lot are happy to try and tank something that they do just to, like, you know, get some type of reaction from, I don't know, the creators or people involved. Because, yeah, there was... Even though it worked out for us, there was really no need to try and come out Nolan like that. Like, both movies are good enough in themselves that people are going to watch them anyway. But, yeah, with the type of content that, like, Warner Brothers want to invest in, the things that they're doing, it just doesn't ultimately make sense. And so you get people like Greta who are just, like, making the best of the best type of films. Like, I was I was so impressed with Barbie, by the way, like, how well it was written, but we'll get into that in a bit. But, yeah, it's like, if not these incredibly made films then what are they really doing it's just like the cash mongering thing and hashing out content again and again that doesn't really live up to anything it doesn't really have an impression and yeah like maybe i don't know maybe this is like some type of filler content that is necessary to sustain the industry but at the same time if you can go for better why not like why not invest in trying to give people the content that they want. So, yeah, I'm fully with you, man. Well, yeah, sh- shit, I-, I forgot for a second. Like, um, Barbie. <laughs> Just been thinking about the whole, you know, like, marketing of the film and, and everything else. But the film itself, wow, what a film. And um, as I said earlier in the show, the first shout about the film that really got to me was Scully saying, you know what, this just might be better than Oppenheimer. And for me personally, Oppenheimer and those type of serious, big spectacle films, they're normally so epic enough and they teach me so much. Like I feel like I've downloaded a new found love of physics and the entirety of that time in history. Like, but Barbie was simply so much more fun, so much more enjoyable. I couldn't stop laughing. I was entertained. I was overjoyed. I learned a lot, actually, when it comes to like different perspectives and even the comedic aspect of Greta Gerwig's writing. There's so much to, to say about it. But yeah, I think I want to land on that first comment that Scully offered. Like, so yeah, Scully, what made you so excited for the film initially? And why did you think it was going to be 
a better experience for you than Oppenheimer. Cool. I want to I wanna lead by saying Oppenheimer is a great film. Everybody who's listening to this, this is the Barbie episode. It's part one. But, but still go and see Oppenheimer. It's a great film. It's better than a lot of films that are out, have been out, and you will, you will love it and you enjoy it. I personally enjoyed Barbie more, and I got that feeling ahead of time just because when I saw the first trailer, I realised quite quickly this is not just going to be a Barbie kids film for kids. Like, there was so much sarcasm in that first trailer, and, like, Ryan Gosling was doing the, the Ken role so well, like, where he was playing an airhead, he's like, yeah, because my job's not surfer or lifeguard, it's just beach. Like, like when he, I heard that bit and the time of the I said, yeah, this is written in such a good way, I can tell this is going to be hilarious, and it's going to be meta, which it was, and it's going to fold in on itself, and maybe... It was good that you raised the point about physics and learning and stuff like that. I think part of it can definitely be coming from a position of privilege. Like, my dad is an engineer and I've always had, like, just a mild interest in quantum physics and the idea of physics and, like, all the things around it. Like, I'm by no means of any stretch any kind of scientist, but I think quantum physics is just the most exciting field of study in science, right? And I think Oppenheimer, for that respect, will be great for getting people to think about those things. But it kind of really, for me, only tackled three themes, three main themes. Barbie manages to take a doll, like a kid's toy, and fold in on itself and talk about, like, genuinely 12 core themes and do them all really well. Like, it, it like assesses motherhood, it assesses going from a child to an adult, it assesses the real world, patriarchy, what it means to be a man in the view of a woman, what it means just to be a man full stop. <laughs> like, it assesses all of these meta things, what Barbie is to people, what femininity is. Like, there's so many subjects, and I've never really, for myself, seen all of these subjects t- tackled so well and concisely in one film, and it very much, when I watched it, it gave me shades of everything, everywhere at once, which is another film that has multiple complex subjects and touch points, and manages to take the plane off and land it. So, yeah, I, I very much feel like Greta might have learned from that film. She might not have, obviously they've been filming for time, but they did amazingly. Yeah, um, I think, more to what you're saying, Scully, like we was obviously talking about um Oppenheimer and Barbie for weeks and I've I'm no I'm it's no secret, like I've been saying Oppenheimer's gonna be like the film of the decade, like film of the year. Like I've been I've been talking about the marketing for like three years of Oppenheimer. Um which of it which I think is a point in itself actually, because Oppenheimer's marketing has been so good for the film. Um but I just think Barbie's overshadowed it. Um Anyway, back to Barbie. Uh, I turned to you five minutes into the film and I think you said it or I said it like, we should have watched this in IMAX, like straight away. Like, um, and like, you know, I liked the way, uh, before it came out, I said to some friends and I remember they laughed at me for it and I was like, I don't know which way they're going to take this film. Like, I don't know what it's going to be about. Like, yes, it's about Barbie, like 
where are they gonna take it and the point that where they took it was so great um even from the like you know the story's not it's not difficult. It's, it, you can see it coming, you know, when Ken's learning about the books and he's going to the library and he's, you know, grabbing all the patriarch, patriarch books and whatnot, blah, blah. And he's seeing the way that men um, are treated in this, in the real world to oppose as how they're treated in Barbie land. Like you can see what's going to happen. Like it's planting the seeds from early, but the way they go about it is just so funny. Like honest to God, I haven't laughed that much at a film in so long. Um, and uh, I can't remember her name. The lady who plays Ugly Betty, the mother, America Ferrera. America Ferrera. So she did a speech when she was uh, by Weird Barbie, and like she was reeling off like how, what it is to be a woman, how you have to carry yourself, how you have to be, blah blah. And I said, live oh in the cinema, give her the Oscar now, just for that, just for that one there, that mon- that monologue. Honest to God. Like, I might you might call me crazy. You might call me crazy, innit? But when you look back on film and you look at great monologues, that's going to be down there with Morgan Freeman's in fucking um, Shawshank. It's going to be down there with uh, Denzel's in Training Day. It's going to be with those ones. Cause it's a heavy hitter, bro. Like, she hit every single fucking thing and everything that she said, it, like, it was like, okay, we start here, then it's here, then it's here, then it's here. Like, I was like, fucking hell. Like, do you know what I mean? And I'm a man. So I only un- I only understood some points because I've got sisters. Do you get me? So mm. we're not women, so we can't really speak on it like that. But And I'd yeah. love for us to be able to get a woman on here to talk about what it was like for them to watch it because a lot of my female friends said it was a feminist dream. Um, but yeah, like it, yeah, yeah I, I think it was, I think it was just amazing. And it, I think it handled, you know, it's not just for the ladies. It's not just for the girls. It's for it's for the guys too. Because it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. This is how men are, but that ain't cool, you know. The, all of the, all of that stuff ain't cool. Do you get me? Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, overall, I'd say I'd give it. A, I I've gave it a five out of five on Letterboxd. Then it that's all I need to know. Yeah. Um, you know what? Yeah. I even wanna. Yeah, I wanna I wanna add to that. I agree with with everything that's been said so far. And I feel like it was such a magnificent film. I just even want to jab at two points. The fact that Scully said that, yeah, this reminds him of everything everywhere all at once. And I fully agree. And the way you said, CJ, you don't remember the last time you laughed like that at a film. And I would even go back and say it was everything everywhere all at once. And it's because of that, the multi-layered approach to story and all the different concepts that are combined in the film and the plot that it deals with so swiftly and smoothly. And it's like, at moments, these things are thrown in as jokes where the crowd reacted and you could tell and infer so much. But I even think when I came out of the screening, I was saying that that is a generational film. And I know this word's been thrown around a lot in so many different contexts and different industries, but I say it's generational because imagine we watched that when we were five years old as young boys. We probably would have gone into that and came out with the idea that Ken needs to be freer. Ken needs to be 
more of himself instead of trying to live up to ideas. Like, we wouldn't have fought so cleanly because, you know, obviously we're five. But is that type of impression, and even the jokes that we do get as adults, like um, the ones Barbie made about, like, pregnancy, about sex and stuff, like, we wouldn't, again, we wouldn't have got those those jokes as children. But I feel like it's important to know and understand. The cellulite joke. Oh my! I was on my back, bro, for like ten minutes. You know, like, <laughs> I love that. I missed so many jokes because I was laughing at the one that went pre. Like, bro, cellulite one had me on my back. I'm so <laughs> yeah, sorry. The like, cellulite one was great. Yeah, the cellulite one was great. Yeah, but when the Kens were arguing and they were doing the beach work, I'll be true, bro. Yo, nobody's gonna beat each other off, man. It was genuinely elite writing. Sorry to put in, sorry to put in, but I just had to. I just I love that so much about the film, man. The way it was just, it was just swaying. And me, I'm a very existential person. Like, study philosophy at uni, and that, and existentialism was probably my favorite subject. So. The scene when it takes the dramatic turn and it actually switches up and you can tell like Barbie's actually thinking about her existence. She's thinking about like her time and her being and her existence as a toy. And I feel like that remains to be like the strongest theme throughout the, throughout the film that is like weaving around. And yeah, man, I just thought it was splendid. But also Ross, like what, what do you have to, to say about the film? I mean, I, I think like I'm pretty much kind of with you guys in the fact that I think it was completely hilarious. I think I must have probably been one of the laughest louders in there. And, you know, I think it is testament to the writing of Gerwig and Baumbach and also obviously just the full cast, particularly Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling. Because it is just like a laugh a minute. It is completely just, as I said, like, you know, you said the last, I think, Shelley Robin, you said, can't remember the last time you laughed so hard in the cinema. It's like, as I say, I don't think I've laughed that hard since I'm like book smart. And also the fact that it's universal. You know, sometimes you see a film where you find it's really funny, but that whole audience was kind of up just in, in arms, basically. It was just loud constantly throughout. Um, I think it is crafted kind of obviously with lots of care and attention and i think you know just from a production kind of point of view you know you see a lot of the kind of like behind the scenes that are going around kind of using that old school kind of movie making techniques with them on kind of like essentially you know like the runners as they're kind of moving the car and the background's moving along and you know i think all of that is just helps kind of create that world and i think you know it it is a perfect balance between for four audiences so as you say like you have all that kind of production and, and all that kind of vibrancy that if you're a younger audience and you're not going to understand some of the more thematic references or the uh, the kind of, you know, film references throughout, you are going to be engrossed in kind of in awe of all the colour and the spectacle. Whereas, as you say, for adults, we're in there and we can laugh and kind of, you know, make jokes about the, the stuff that is more mature. I mean, the film ends with Barbie going to the gynecologist. And that's it. That's a hard stop. Credits roll, you know. A kid might not understand that, but, you know, for an adult audience, that is really funny. But I think, you know, reflecting on it, I think the movie is not as strong when it's trying to be more sincere. I think it's, it's fine, 
but I think it's a bit heavy handed. So in particular, you know, I think, I think the finale is really good. The bit where Barbie has the kind of like the heart to heart with kind of her creator. Um, I think that is kind of really well played. I think it's more throughout. So like when they first kind of go to the real world, um, you know, they're sat on the bench and, you know, there's the kind of the old lady who's, I think the costume designer, either for Barbie or a famous costume designer, and I cannot remember her name. Um, she but is she said, like, you, yeah, it was, it was for Barbie as well. But like, she, you know, that you've got like a few, like about a 30 second sequence where they're kind of just smiling at each other. And she goes, oh, you're beautiful. And she goes, like, oh, I know. And, you know, stuff like that. The only kind of, on reflection, the thing I guess take away is it kind of starts to interrupt the flow a little bit. I get why that's in there and I get what kind of Gerwig's going for, you know, and there's that kind of that message throughout scattered. But, you know, I think at times the way it's kind of thrown in starts to perhaps kind of throw off some of the, the timing and I guess some of the flow because at times it is you're laughing so hard and then suddenly it's like you come to a stop as it kind of gets really serious and sincere. And it's not like you're getting internal whiplash or anything, but there is that kind of almost slight juxtaposition between it. But when it really does go for it, like America Ferreira's speech, obviously that's really heartfelt and that's a really beautiful moment. And as I say, that kind of actual finale with um, with Rhea Perlman as kind of the Barbie creator and you have that heart to heart, that's really well done. And the other thing really, you know, those sorts of moments... I'm guessing Gerwig isn't is you know hasn't made that movie for me to kind of be fully I guess empathic or kind of you know seeing myself in that moment because the movie's not for me. I can thoroughly enjoy it because it is a really good comedy, but I know that those sorts of moments, even if they don't fully work for me, they're not designed for me. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to pick up on what you said. I think. Big up the costume designer. I think those moments are important. Obviously, it came out that Greta had to fight for that moment to be in there. And one of the biggest touch points, one of the things that I've reflected on, on uh, Barbie, is that that theme that I said about going from, like, let's say, a teenager to an adult or, or a child to an adult is a lot of Barbie's journey to the real world is almost like, you know, when you're a child, and we obviously don't remember it, but there's a moment when you're a child and you did a lot of independent play. So it's the four of us who've been in a room and there's a bunch of toys. We'd all pick up the toys and play with the toys independently, but together. Like we'd all be together, but we wouldn't play. Our imaginations couldn't interact. They'd just be there. And I'd be playing with a car and you'd be playing with a car, CJ and Jude would be playing a car, but the cars would not race because we could not, we had not got the semblance of playing with other people. And then you reach the next level of consciousness where you can play with other people. Then you reach the final level where you're, you're self-aware and you see people outside yourself, right? And I think that scene in particular, after Barbie has got to the real world, obviously she notices the way people are looking at her, men are looking at her, looking at Ken differently. They're getting arrested. They're having all of these different conversations. And that scene comes after their second arrest, right? And it's almost like, her, she finally reached full self-actualization. She's like, oh, beauty is more than me just having perfect blonde hair and wearing cool outfits. It is living a full life, whatever that means. And the old woman's agreement is also a part of that. And I think it just definitely manages to hand those sincere lessons in quite a short film because it's actually not a really long film. And not only definitely Landon, but also manages to like 
because there's a lot of times where those those kind of on the nose moments can be corny or just you just don't care. Yeah. But it actually makes them it makes them feel good. Like you actually like them. So yeah, credit to her writing. Greta's gonna be a star, man. Sorry, dude, I muted you and I can't unmute you now. Um, no, wait, it's all good. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, like, um, literally, yeah, she's a brilliant writer. I think um, I, I agree with you, Ross. I think sometimes the tone of seriousness might not be able to be picked up between all of, like, the fine slices of comedy, which I wasn't, I, w- I didn't feel any type of way about it because the messages that were there remained and quite, were quite strong. What I really mm, yeah. loved, the moment that really like, kind of caught me was when she... Because in Barbie land, you had no old Barbies. There were all Barbies like in that age range of beauty. And even though there was different like standards and different types of Barbies, like when it comes to, to obviously that like, race, identity, um, weight, stature, like so like a great type of variation to show. But... Um, Again, like when she got to the real world and she's going through that process of self-actualization, I felt like that whole moment was kind of like probably like a fast forward and a speed through process for like a young girl or innocent young woman going through the whole process of, you know, womanhood and especially in this society and how men treat them, patriarchy and all of the kind of ailments that come with this type of society that we we live in. And yeah, it was really intense. But yeah, that moment that really caught me was when she saw that old lady on the bench and she was like, yeah, you're beautiful. And I just imagined like in her kind of mindset, then she probably had never pictured someone who's old, who's aged, who's beautiful in a different way, more than just like the physical... So yeah, there's just so many messages and I think upon a secondary like watch would pick up so many more things and that just shows like the brilliance of, of Greta's writing and the acting as well was just, you could tell that they had fun on that set, man. They had fun creating that film and it's just such a feel good feeling that that's not the type of film you're going to get some, I don't know, some information about the BTS of how the film was coming together and the, and the director was abusing some, some of the cast or something. Like, yeah. And I literally think this type of power within film is really what needs to be projected. Not every film must have a message, but if there's going to be a message in it, it should be written and crafted so well that when we leave the film that we're constantly thinking about it, that it does infect like the normal parts of our meme culture and stuff. Um, even as I was talking about the marketing today, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is I opened my emails and I, and you know, on Gmail, you have like the promotions, like you have all emails, promotions, social on my promotions list. There's probably about like three, four different emails that all state, Oh, hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Like just as an introduction, it's like everyone's on this wavelength right now. And we're understanding Barbie, not through just the, oh, look, at here's this big, beautiful doll that everyone's attached to. Now we're understanding Barbie and the weight 
that comes with that stemming back to when was it made? Like the fifties and the sixties. Yeah, it's a lot, 50. and it deals with it so. Yeah, it deals with it so greatly that yeah, man, I'm just I'm just amazed. And just um, quickly, Scully, what were you gonna say? I, I was gonna say just quickly. Um, I when you was talking about everyone understands the kind of Barbie hype. I was talking to a colleague this week, and like she went across the road, and I went bye Barbie like that as a joke, and some woman like across the road heard me and like looked at me and was just laughing. And was like, oh, did you enjoy it? Like, and I was like, I was like, yeah, like I loved it. And then me and her were talking about this film for like two or three minutes. It was really like it. I, I just feel like in times, especially in like cinema, it, like there is there are moments, and I feel like this has been mm-hmm. a moment. Like, and just everyone replied to that. Can I just say, um, do you? Sorry, Scully, because I know you're waiting to add a point, but. Um, do you know how many people wanted to interact with us the other day? Because oh, yeah, bare people you know like, yeah, we have yeah, <laughs> Like, everyone, people really wanted to speak to us. And even when I was someone on the way someone home. Said, someone said, can we get a picture with them? Did you not hear them? When we, was taking, when we were taking our picture, they were like, oh, can we get a picture? <laughs> nah, bro, like, that's not it. Uh, no, I actually, yeah, no, I loved it. But, yeah, what were you going to say, Scully? That is a moment. That is a moment, man. We need to, yeah... We understand we'll do more viewings and have more more get ready for the cinema type moments. But shout out to Giggs, by the way. Giggs goes to all of the like the anime films that he likes and Star Wars films he likes, either with a lightsaber or dressed as like Goku or something like that. I like I'm starting to get it. <laughs> I'm starting to get it. <laughs> all we wore wore t shirts, but I'm hearing mm-hmm. it like like CJ said no, for real. moment. But I've um, I've wore pink today for I a reason. Wanted, that's and, and watch what watch what I wear for our Oppenheimer one. I've I've got it. You know what I've got. Oh, I hear it. I hear Maybe. it. You know what I've got. All right. <laughs> oh, I, could, so I should have worn pink. I should have worn the pink. But um, I wanted to shout Greta yeah because the first third of the film where they're specifically in Barbie Land yeah, she does an amazing job of showing what it is to play with dolls, even though there's no humans playing with the dolls. So. The Barbie like floating down from her dream house and walking across the pool, like she just steps on the water and Ken runs out into the wave and he runs across the water. Or like the things will just like levitate. Or like the car. So I've got another fun fact for you. That car is the same car that was designed for the person who designed the car in the Batman designed the Barbie car and it's electrical and fully works. But they had to make it work so that when it goes slow and it's really quiet, it looks like a, a car that's not, like a kid would play with. And mm. they've done just such a great job of making the entire Barbie world come to life, but not come to life in a human way, come to mm-hmm. life in the way that toddlers and little kids play with those dolls. And it reminded me of when I had an action figure and I'd throw him off the bunk bed and watch him like, parachute down, like everything moved. Like I was gonna that. say even even like when um when Ken got injured, you know, when he like f- flew around like a couple of times, mm-hmm. and then he was injured, and then it was like, oh yeah, we've just got to check you out, blah blah. And it's like you know when you used to have a little hospital like DLC pack, um, yeah yeah yeah. And then like oh like it'd be fixed anyway, but it's like oh you're fine now, like. And then he's like oh yeah yeah, and he's <laughs> jumping jumping up. That's what I really liked. Sorry, go on, man. But but that's also like down to the fact that you know the cast trust kind of what Greta is doing in terms of kind of the direction as well, because you have to get a good performance out of that. And I think that's where Margot Robbie and, you know, 
the rest do such an amazing job because like the bits where she's waking up in the morning and she's going into the shower, but obviously there's no water coming out because it's, it's a toy. But they're all acting kind of like with sincerity. It's not like it's awkward and they're kind of just playing it off like it's kind of community theater or something. You know, you are getting kind of generally good kind of, and that's why it's funny. And it kind of, you have that sense of realism. And he's probably going to hate me for saying this, but like to your point about kind of like playing, you know, like making it feel like you're actually playing with toys. At one point, when Barbie's, you know, it goes into like the second day and um, everything's going wrong with Barbie and like the shower yeah, is supposedly yeah, yeah. cold. When she goes down for her breakfast, she pulls the milk out. Mariah was really excited and kind of tapped me on the shoulder. It was like, it says it's expired, right? And, it's, and then it, it turns to the bottle of milk and it says expired. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. By this point, I turn around and he's asleep. Uh, so, <laughs> no. But it is like, but it is like that point of like, you know, it is that sort of kind of like, I guess that, I guess that childhood wonder in all of us, the fact is, you know, is that almost like nostalgia pop as well. Like you're looking at this stuff and it is kind of made in a way that is so true to life kind of as it were and so imaginative that you kind of think you don't really see kind of film like this anymore to get to be so kind of creative but sincere at the same time. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like it's so, it's, it's been so genius and everything that they've tried to do has evidently worked. And, um, even in just like the totality of the creation of the film, I'm just finding it so interesting how it's been pieced together. Obviously, the cast was super, it was superb, and I think very timely, especially with like the addition of actors like Issa Rae. I feel like she was she was brilliant. Like she didn't have like the the hugest part, but everything worked quite swimmingly. But one thing I even wanted to kind of point out was like the cinematography. And um, obviously, um, this was done by, like, Rodrigo Prato. And this guy has actually been a cinematographer for a lot of films. I'm, I'm assuming everyone's kind of seen, like, once or twice. Like, um, one of my favourite Spike Lee giants, actually, 25th Hour. He also done, like, 8 Mile, uh, Brokeback Mountain, Alexander, Babel, The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, well, it's The Irishman, and also his next film is Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, the reason why I even wanted to point this out is because with this type of set, it's not really like, oh, you can have such a great impact with cinematography, if you get what, I'm, if you get what I mean. Like, super rich colours, rich backgrounds, and it's much more of an emphasis on the styling and what's actually going on. But I feel like it was even shot really well, like the moments to capture like the sincerity or as you were saying, Scully, like the little moment showing like the toys and how it was used, it was just captured and edited like really well. And it kind of all blended together to just make something that was captivating. Like I was caught in so many different ways and I'm normally the type of guy that I want to watch a film that is brilliant on the eye that is very impressionable. It's not just like a, a colour fest, like for, Ra where is it, Ragnarok or the Love and Thunder? You know what I mean? Like just bare intense colours, no story, no direction, nothing. But yeah, I just feel like this has been so powerful. And another point I was going to make is earlier, the reason why I love talking about marketing so much with this film is because the thing that invited me to be like, yeah, I really want to see, see this film 
was the steals. It was just the steals of onset, the brilliant styling, the way they captured it. And it just like, it sold me. I was instantly cool. I didn't even need to see the trailer. And um, it's funny because I remember a few episodes ago, we were talking about how steals are kind of ruining how we perceive movies. And it's like, we've seen way too much. But again, Barbie probably done this the best that I've seen in recent times. And yeah, Scully, did you want to add to that? I just wanted to shout out the set designers, Sarah Greenwood and Katie Spencer. They've worked together on 30 projects, Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. and Darkest Hour. They got six Academy Award nominations. And I bring them up to say, I heard before this film, I think it was before this film or after the film came out, I heard or read, whichever one it was, that the reason why it has such a toy feel is because they like they probably studied in it. They they weren't Margot Robbie and uh, Greenwood and Spencer. None of them owned Barbies growing up. Like that just wasn't their thing. So they were like coming into this film with like, cool. We need to understand what Barbie is and what makes Barbie Barbie. And they um were looking at the, the set designers Spencer and Greenwood were looking at the the dream house Barbie's dream house in real life. And they clocked, they're like, when you put a, like, a Barbie doll in the dream house, the dream house is actually too small for her. Like, if you raise her arms, she's basically touching the season, uh, ceiling, which, like, in all of our dream houses, if you ask about the size, if you could raise your hands and touch the ceiling, that is not a dream house. Isn't it? That's just, <laughs> you're living in a pretty small house. So they clocked that, like, Barbie is like, if you put it in human scale, her belongings, like her car, her dream house, the pool, all of that, it's like nearly 25% too small. So by by that proportion, they had to make the set, instead of being life-size, like, yeah, it was life-size, but it wasn't life-size. It was smaller, so it could feel and look like they were dolls, like they were toys, and they were, like, marching about in this in these cars with these surfboards that they're too big for. And, yeah, I just think that's very wavy, like that distinct attention to detail. Like, it just made everything so perfect. So I mean, if if you say it's six, it's going to be seven nominations when it yeah. comes to kind of next year, because there's no way that the, this does not at least kind of get nominated uh, for kind of production and kind of like this this time around. Um, one of the interesting things about it is we've kind of brought Margot Robbie up a few times, and you know, I don't think anyone can deny the fact that I think she's probably, in hindsight, the only person who probably could have played this role. She's just a perfect fit for it. But I'm not sure how familiar you all are with kind of like the production history for Barbie. So initially, kind of like, I think nearly a decade ago, it was meant to be an Amy Schumer project. I think it was Diablo. Oh, Cody nine. Oh, nine of, of Juni. Yeah. And like, you know, Juno, uh, writer Diablo Cody, kind of writing the script. And it basically kind of got stuck in, I think, a bit of a development hell just because in in hindsight, probably the way they would have taken that story would have just, it was obviously would have been drastically different. And I don't know, I think, again, that kind of just comes down to like with the casting and the idea, actually, you know, it's taken a long time to probably get to where they wanted to be with it, but they actually kind of got the best outcome. Um, I just don't think anyone else other than Margot Robbie could play that role. And even like when you see her out kind of doing like the press tours and stuff, like, did you see the stuff from yesterday, like where she's uh, on the red carpet and there's a deaf fan trying to communicate with her and she puts all her stuff down and she starts signing to, to them and having a conversation, you know. She is just the epitome she, of a Barbie. 
Like, did, have you not seen this? She's called. Yeah, she's I, didn't, signing, I didn't even like, she's, know. She's signing, That's amazing. Signing stuff. That's amazing. She gets her assistant or whoever's with her to hold her stuff, and she's uh, speaking to them in sign language. Listen, wow. I, wa- I want to just say this on the pod right now, Doctor Umar. You'd have to understand. I can't lie. When I saw this woman, um, <laughs> when I saw- <laughs> wait, how do you know who Doctor Umar is? <laughs> <laughs> he lost that man quick. I was like, wait, you know who Doctor Who is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got Twitter. Listen, listen. I don't mean to play into the misogynistic role that I am kenning it. But listen, Margot Robbie. No, you're you're okay you're at amazing. the start of the film. No, no, no. She, she's a mate. She's a ma- yeah. Listen. The, what did they say? Ken's days made when Barbie just looks at him. Me and who? Me and who? Please, please. Oh my God, we've got to clip that. We've got to clip this. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. I saw and got, man got beauty on the door. But yeah, no. Listen, yes, me yes. and who? But no, honest to God, like Margot Robbie was perfect for Barbie. Even like when. Like, you know when, um, I think it's the first day where everything's going right and she was, like, doing her hair? Did she mm-hmm. not just look like a doll? Like, she just looked like a doll. Yeah. Like, she just looked like a doll. Like, I can't explain it. I don't want to say, oh, she looked perfect or whatever, but do you get me? Like, she matched the role, bro. Like, the, the role is but definitely for her. Like, as you're saying, that, like, she is perfect. She does like, look perfect. And that's the whole God. point of that joke with um, Helen Mirren as a narrator, isn't it? Saying, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. if you're trying I, no, to make this, this role thing. realistic, don't hire Margot Robert. This is Robert. the thing. I missed that joke. I only heard the Margot Robert, Margot Robert part, Robbie part, because I was laughing at the joke before. So what did they actually say at that part? Uh, it's, it's, it's a joke at the point where they're talking. Isn't it about like they're trying to just kind of what a woman is? And basically, it's something you know, like it doesn't have to kind of a deal to perfectionism. And then, yeah. as Helen Mirren comes in and says, "If you're trying to make this point, don't hire Margot Robbie." Yeah, she's <laughs> basically because Barbie was complaining that she can't look like the perfect woman. And then, yeah, the narrator's like, "Well, this is a new point when when the Barbie." Is- <laughs> That's what I like as well. She's I like yeah. just, just just to go on the narrator part. Like, I liked that the fact that there was a narrator throughout the film. But like they came in mm-hmm. at necessary moments. It wasn't like spoon feeding you information. It was just like, okay, they're coming mm-hmm. in here, they're coming in here, they're coming in here. Like I, m- I must, I must have heard their voice like five times, if that. It, it, it broke it, the fourth wall. It, yeah, and it, and they broke the fourth wall a lot. Um, you, it felt you know very. What? We also, sorry to interject, CJ, but I really, really needed to just. We have to big up Will Ferrell as the CEO of Metal because that performance proper rounded off a lot of the hilarity of this this film he was killing me like the the, the misogyny <laughs> the patriarchy felt very real it felt like he had an infinity stone every time he appeared on screen and was just like just snapping it, it was final slack but in the most the funniest way and yeah man like pff, boy that i i'm i'm just i'm still actually kind of shocked at how much I enjoyed this film. I could look at like almost every actor and admire their interjections. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm just going to put this out there, but isn't the the daughter the same actor who played Weapon X in Logan? I'm not sure, you know. No. I have to it's it's probably the daughter, not. The daughter, the daughter, I think, was the girl who accompanies Adam Driver in that 
shitty space dinosaur movie that came out this year. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't that's seen it, by the way. Yeah, I haven't like seen it a million years ago. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. team, that film looked shit. I remember I told Scully, it looked, it looked shit. <laughs> Scully was surprised because he was like, bro, I thought you would actually kind of rate that, that film like that. I was like, yo, Adam Driver, I rate him, but I just, I just can't take him seriously sometimes. It just seems like he does a lot of scream acting, and I don't want to be screamed at. I want to be performed at. You get? I want. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I don't want. I don't want that shit. Like, that's the the oh, door. Yes, that's what. That's what I was. That's the other one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because right? I don't know. I don't know who she um, was in Infinity War. But yeah. Is she young? Gamora, young Gamora. Hold on. I think oh, she yeah. is. That yes, makes she is sense. She's young Gamora. I, she was. She absolutely killed me when she took down Barbie at that um at the canteen. Like that that yeah, scene she, was hilarious. She was old school hating. I like it. He was hating, hating. But old yeah, man. And well, yeah, I last think... point I even want to make. Sorry, Scully, is the layers of different generations and how they appreciated mm-hmm. Barbie. Mm-hmm. And then it working its way around to Ruth, just explaining kind of like the spirit was that guys of Barbie and kind of what it means and what it would mean for the character of Barbie in this world. And last point, very, it's funny that we've contrasted this to everything everywhere all at once, because in a sense we could see this as a multiversal film as well. If you know what I mean, because he's not oh, coming from like a, a different realm slash world. And they're stepping into the real world, and people are looking at it like, "Oh, you're fake. You're not real." But that's an amazing. Bobby managed to do it. You know what I mean? That, Bobby managed to actually do it. That's an amazing. So what, what, are, you, what are these men doing? I think there is like yes, it's just a really good film. I want to go back to the the point of all the actors because it is hard to have such a big ensemble cast and everyone play their part. And it's quite funny that the two movies that we're going to discuss on these two episodes, Barbie and Oppenheimer, both achieved that. Like, they both have an incredible, incredible ensemble cast where you recognise so many faces and names, but every character plays their part. Like, nobody's in there and you think, don't need them. Like, in both films, you have people who might only say, like, four lines and still manage to hold such gravity. Like, <clears throat> the whole of Sex Education was in that film, the next week series or at least four of the main characters, which I thought was interesting. And the thing that I thought was super interesting about that was, first of all, they didn't get Jackson to be a Ken. So you know the jock in sex education who's on the swimming team and is basically a Ken in sex education. They got so many characters from sex education and they didn't get the one who was actually a Ken in sex education. That was really interesting to me. I thought, so I've realised the Barbie dream house was built in Hertfordshire. So that's why there was... Probably they probably leaned on getting as many young British actors as they could because they were just already here. I think what killed me is there was two parallels. So there was a lot of cultural references in Barbie anyway, and I'm going to ask you what's your favourite after this. But the ones that I noticed was, one, Will Ferrell's character was the exact same character that Will Ferrell played in the Lego movie. You know, in the Lego movie, he's the CEO wearing the shirt and the blazer, and he's just going mad and trying to control everything again. He literally plays the exact same character. And I was just like, right, like, you've done this twice over. And there's a there's another reference, but I'll talk about it. 
as we talk about some of our favorite references within the entire the entire film. But yeah, man, I just think they've really managed to pick up on all these zeitgeist points and be like, yo, this is sick. I think it's yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, you're right. They must have leaned, especially on that kind of that British kind of cast, quite a lot from where it's filmed. Because obviously, like you had those kind of quick cameos like Rob Brydon. And what was he? Well, he was yeah. Sugar Daddy Ken. And yeah, I think that's yeah. also the other good thing, like both from the point of view as well. It's like from that sort of like inclusivity part is the fact that, you know, there was a really diverse range of kind of actors involved and they all had something to kind of to, to do and say. They weren't just kind of thrown in for kind of just the sake of it or just kind of, you know, for appearance. They actually had kind of roles to do, even if it is, you know, as you say, Scully, like a couple of lines here and there but everyone kind of at least has a role to play. Um, I think it's impossible to not talk about supporting cast and at least give Ryan Gosling kind of his due. I think, you know, interestingly, a lot of the hype online, especially about why it's so good, tends to kind of be levelled at uh, Ryan Gosling. And Scully, you made a good point when we were kind of talking about some of the notes for this. And one of the, my notes was Ryan Gosling and kind of not talking about obviously kind of like the women in the cast. But I think that's because obviously he has just made such kind of, I guess, an impact uh, just on everything. And you know, CJ, we need, a, we, need a, we need a record scratch or a bomb sound or something for Ryan Gosling. Because although I said it, we can't do that. And he'd be the main part of the convo. But that Ken performance... That was the stuff of legend. I can't lie. He made. He was made. For He's like I can't remember the last time like a comedic performance, especially, kind of got that much love and that much praise. You know, if you look back through kind of like even like Academy Awards, the only I think properly like comedic role I think that won was Kevin Klein for Fish Called Wonder like pure comedy in supporting role, everything else, it tends to always kind of be really overlooked. And I don't know, I, I don't, I think he's going to be in with a nomination. I guess the challenge for Barbie, and this this is across the board, I guess, if we talk about Oscars, by the way, is the fact that it's July. There is a long road ahead <laughs> to get to kind of the Oscars and then you're going through Oscar season. I think it you know, would get the trailers that we saw before both films is everything that's going to kind of come up and what's going to be kind of dominating. Um, but no, I'd like to see a lot of it kind of like, you know, come up here. You know, I think it will definitely get things like song, soundtrack, um, yeah. you know, your production design. I, I would like to see it kind of get some of the acting nominations because I think it deserves its kind of its credit because mm. it is, the film is, you know, I don't think anything without both the writing and the directing, but you need those performances and Gerwig does an amazing job of getting those performances out of that cast. 100%, I agree. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. But I think, went crazy. I, think Robert went Dan, I think Robert Downey Jr. has got a date with the Oscars, but we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, definitely. I think that the best supporting actors turned around and went like this for him. Like, I think... Okay. okay yeah. That is that is mad. I, there's, um, a, no, there's a meme actually. You know what? If 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 we edit that part, there's a meme that I want to use for that. <laughs> it's I, two things like I wanted to even add. Sorry, CJ. Um, so one, Ross, like on the strikes. Um, I'm not sure if I have shared this with any of you. Did you guys see Snoop Dogg was joining the strikes? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, so solidarity with the actors and the writers. 
he's taken up strike and he's no longer touring. He's like shut off his tour and he's just said, yeah. Really? Yeah, like yeah. he's sitting back and he's he's striking to be in solidarity with them. And I just feel like that's so cool. Like he's had such a a masterful, amazing career. He definitely understands like the importance of it and it's just not yeah. an action. So well, imagine if yeah. every type of creative was on that type of action. Like I think Shout out to Aunt May. Shout out to the original Aunt May. She's 95 and she's out there in these streets. Shout out. Shout out to Aunt May, man, every time. Yeah, It's kind of interesting. It's interesting you talk about the strikes, by the way, because actually Greta Gerwig did come under some pressure over the weekend because she went to a screening of Barbie where she wasn't doing any promotion, but she did kind of just thank everyone that was there and kind of basically said they had a good time, whatever. But there's been quite a bit of a backlash against her kind of actually even doing that because, you know, as part of the Writers Guild, um, well, she's all three, isn't she? She's an actress, she's a director, and she's a writer. Mm. But I think in the writer's capacity, I think a lot of people have kind of started to call her a bit of a scab for even going to do that, which I think isn't fair. I think for me, if I was great, I'd tell everyone, you know what, I can't say what I'd say to everyone, but I'd tell every because you like censoring me, you see, I just want to be my unapologetic self. Listen, I, anyway, Greta's found a, a lifelong fan in me. Because of she's that. Now, she's admit, found a lifelong fan for me. But I, I just think I've watched Little Woman before, actually. I think I've seen Little, Little Women before. But Little Women was amazing. Yeah. Aside from that, that I haven't really seen any of her films. But yeah, man, she's... Have you not seen Ladybird? I don't think I have. Like, like Sharonan. I'll be, I'll be. Go check now. That's good. I yeah, no, I will. Good. I'm on a, I'm on a catch up period. But yeah, there was a weird period from like 2000 and I'd say 15 to around 18 ish. I missed out on a lot of bangers, and I've been catching up on them recently. So I'll do that. The other point I wanted to point out earlier, but let me hope. I wanted to finalize our discussion on Barbie with the point Scully was making. Like, what are your favourite kind of like Easter egg moments from the movie. And I'll start with mine. So it was during that scene when the Barbies like are regaining this, their sense of self and you had like the writer Barbie, which I didn't know exist, existed for like um, obvious reasons. So yeah, I found it pretty cool. Like um, this was kind of a nod to, it was, no, it wasn't kind of, it was a nod to Zack Snyder. And like the writer the writer Barbie basically declares like, oh, I felt like I was in a dream where I liked Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League. And I just found that so funny. It, it just, because the whole discussion of Zack Snyder's Justice League cut was such a massive thing. And it was like, oh, once this comes out, DC as a thing is going to be reborn. We're going to, you know, essentially like take over this kind of industry, this comic book movie scene but that didn't really work out. So it's weird, like coming from the inside as if she was like jabbing punches at Warner Brothers saying like, hey, like look at what we're doing here and you're still prepared to give all of the money and attention to these bigger, wider scale projects when there's a gold mine in talent just here. So yeah, it felt like a jab from inside the movie at the, the creators of finances. But yeah, what, what about you guys? Like, what other kind of Easter eggs in the film stood out to you? 
I think, yeah, I had the Stanley Cup one. Musa is a cut of, and this is a wider point because I know we're going to talk about references and I really wanted to talk about references, but remember I said earlier at the start of the pod that like how the Marvels are getting shit essentially, with the Marvel films, but I also said that that is going to be, that's going to be ruined by something I say later. And I, th- I say that to say, I think, yes, some of the big Marvel films like Thor and Doctor Strange 2 and No Way Home lacked quality. But I think they're trying to do some really unique things with um, Miss Marvel and uh, She-Hulk and the TV series. And I think people don't like it in the same way that right-wing men are complaining about Barbie. And it's because they can't understand the value of art in which they're not the center. Like they see creations or creativity and because it has no exact direct relation to them, they're like, well, this is worthless. This is shit. This is that when people complain about Little Mermaid because she's black and it's like, gosh, she's a mermaid. Like it, like, it doesn't matter if she's black. She's literally half fish. Like, you don't have to see everything reflect back at you. And your want to not see change is what's stopping us advancing further forward. And it's like over so, super arbitrary things. Like, like there could be an Action Man film. There has been a G.I. Joe film. It was decent. Yeah, who I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Yeah, like who the fuck cares if there's a Barbie film? Like why can't girls have a film where the lead character is a is a woman? Like what is the issue? Can, like, can I just say one thing in reply to that, Scully? No, go on. Like um, it's a shame because people would rather be, there be no fish than a half black fish, just no fish at all. But it's the same. You can apply that logic with Barbie. They'd rather no Barbie than a Barbie that points out patriarchy or points out the relevant conversations at the time because they get annoyed and they've only learned how to respond to that content with annoyance. Bro, it's like across the Spider-Verse, like there's a group of men, I think, who are so desperate to look for masculine heroes here that they don't understand an adult Peter Parker who is gassed to have a daughter and just wants to be a good dad. Like they're like, no, he should want to be outside every night fighting crime. Bro, <laughs> leave him in my yard every night at midnight to fight crime. It's fucking long, bro. Like, it's fucking long. Like, I want to stay at home and eat noodles and build Legos with my daughter because she makes me smile. Like, how can you not be able to put that together in your head? And, like, I think the biggest problem with media literacy in in the modern times is because the world is so small because the internet and globalisation, people want to see their own reflection in everything. Mm. And it's not that. It's not that deep. Like, that you should be excited to see other people's perspective in film or music, or art, or whatever it is, because it's going to teach you something new. Mm-hmm. Like CJ was saying, that monologue about being a woman, like, and like you were saying, if we've seen that when we were younger, I think my little brothers can watch Barbie and understand a lot more about femininity and how hard it is to be a woman and treat women with more respect and reverence solely based off that. Like, that should be exciting to people as opposed to oh, no, you know, it's changing the world. It's anti-men. It's not even anti-men. I see Piers Morgan write an article about it. It's anti-men. Bruv, did you even watch a fucking film? The entire premise yeah. of the last act was literally, hey, maybe let's not beef the Kens and treat them with some respect and reverence and we yeah. can all get along. But this is what I feel like is, though. I feel like 
a lot of things. It happens with a lot of albums. It happens with a lot of a lot of stuff. Like people make decisions on stuff based on based on like highlights and clips. And it's like it's like all right, you know, when you watch football and it's like, oh, but they did this, but they did this. Well, I watched the game with my own two eyes, bro. I seen what happened. Do you get me? Like, mm-hmm. it, I just feel like someone like Piers Morgan is not. I don't. I don't see Piers Morgan going to Barbie and watching it. If he did, then he did great. But I just don't see that happening. And I feel like a lot of people who are saying it's it's um, a war against men, like it's flipping the war on Chirac or something like that. Flipping, <laughs> like, I think they haven't watched it. I think they've just saw Margot Robbie uh, in one clip. They saw a trailer and they've just made their mind up. And, and that's fine. You do that. Just be ignorant. Carry on being ignorant. But, they, but that's just that's just how engagement in media works now exactly people people don't even necessarily need to believe it they, you know you don't need to see anything you can just be negative you can you can go against the grain and go against the kind of consensus just to be contrary and you know that that's going to grant you kind of access and engagement that's all they care about like ben shapiro did the same thing you know i've not bothered to watch it because i don't need to waste my time but him spending 52 minutes destroying barbie he says He's doing that purely because he's going to get probably tens or hundreds of thousands of views and comments of people calling him an arsehole. But that's all he needs. He just needs that kind of engagement. You know, a lot of people I feel kind of just uh, negative or contrary for money. They might not even believe it. You know, they probably haven't seen or heard a lot of this stuff that they kind of complain about. But they know if I comment on it, I'm just going to get a quick bag. And that's it. It's just, I mean, I think that's a very big problem just generally in current kind of, you know, media space. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Everybody wants to be the centre. And the internet has made us feel like we are the centre. We can jump on Instagram or TikTok Live and people drop on and watch us. But not everything is created with us in mind. And I think that was some people's criticism with everything. Like I said, with some of the Marvel TV shows, I feel like that's a criticism. Like People are like, I can't believe She-Hulk. It's not like Avengers Endgame. Bruv. It's a show for young working female professionals that I like him closer to Ali McBeal than I do to the Incredible Hulk. Like, it doesn't have to be yeah. written or only service you. Like, all these mediums should exist for more people. But um, onto the references, the reference that I love the most, which is a reference I picked up on, and I've watched a few breakdown videos, you know, all the bait ones, all the bait ones that we'll probably cr- collaborate with one day, Screen Crush, Heavy Spoilers, all of that. No one picks up on this, and maybe that's because all the people who do the the film YouTubes and podcasts and that are not big wrestling fans. But there was a really subtle Ric Flair reference in um in Barbie, which I thought was amazing. So obviously, you know, Ken gets some mink, and he's wearing the three watches because he thinks wearing more watches makes him manly. Um, it's a Ric Flair reference because remember Mick, Ric Flair used to wear the mink and he'd have like one or two or even three Rolexes on and I only clocked it because when he turns the, the dream house into the Mojo Dojo Casa house and he's throwing Barbie's stuff out he does it Ryan Gosling does it in the Ric Flair voice of and this is why I have the and he read out like, the Barbie double denim tuxedo and he'd chuck it and it stay on the screen. Go, and this is why I have to... And he'd reach each, each thing like in the Ric Flair voice. And all it was missing was the woo! I was like, yo, he's actually... So there's a real famous Ric Flair speech where he's basically talking about why he owns so many fancy clothes and he's wearing the mink and he's talking about how expensive his Rolex is. 
and he's obviously on allegedly many many drugs at the same time he like the clear inspiration for that i thought this is such a subtle reference if you bring a, a nine-year-old girl to watch barbie she's gonna have no idea what ryan gosling is basing this on but it's so good like it's so smooth 10 10. no for real it is spectacular spectacular viewing I think for mine, you know, there, there's so many of like the kind of the movie references like that she kind of, you know, some of them are a bit more obvious than others, but all the kind of those references snuck in. And due to your point, obviously, kind of about like the Zack Snyder one, the Godfather one's also kind of very funny. It's part of like the counter-programming of all the Barbies at that point once they kind of been brainwashed by the men. They're like, get him to explain the Godfather to you and all the film bros <laughs> getting upset like, oh, it's not like that. But then you kind of got like the whole intro obviously doing like Kubrick uh, and obviously 2001. Um, but I think actually, I think one of the funniest moments in the film for me, because I think it's one of the moments that I felt most seen, is where they start driving to Barbie land and America Ferrera's daughter kind of talks about, says, you know, like, what about dad? And she's like, oh, he'll be fine. And then it cuts to just this guy on his own on the sofa doing yeah. his Duolingo. Uh, Duolingo just bolygraphos and i just thought that's me that's literally yeah. me like, i'm learning spanish now this is exactly me and it. what i actually found out after the fact is that is america ferrera's real life husband oh yeah. sick yeah that is that's her actual husband uh so it's just kind of like an extra nice little double layer but like yeah that moment i think and there's i think there's like a, quite a few guys in that kind of audience basically all laughed at the same time it's like yeah that's me that's me <laughs> that is so yeah, serious but yeah, man. Like, we... I should also I should also quickly say actually, with all those film mm-hmm. references, Greta Gerwig did do a thing with Letterbox. That's I think there was like thirty two films she said that basically influenced her, and there's loads of kind of stuff on there, so you should check that out. Um, I would say my favorite reference was at the start. You know, um, it's subtle. It's obviously noticeable, but it's subtle. But um, it's the two thousand and one one where they've got the big the big Barbie at the start. Yeah, yeah. Um, my goat Kubrick, and then it's literally just like because so, I was saying to myself the other day when I was watching all the Nolan films and I watched Interstellar, I was like, I need to watch 2001 again. Um, and mm-hmm. literally, I didn't clock it until I saw the the big figure, and I was like, Oh, when they're smashing all the stuff, they're the monkeys, and yeah, yeah, yeah. blah blah. So, yeah, um, that was my favorite, that was my favorite reference, I think. Um, yeah, maybe that or the like. Um, the 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 arched foot, but definitely that one. That was funny, yeah, very funny. Tarantino definitely lost his mind in the cinema when he saw that. <laughs> if you did, you see the picture? Someone took a photo of him, <laughs> yeah. like spamming money down. They're like, he's just come out of uh, Oppenheimer <laughs> and straight into Barbie, and they keep kind of cutting it with all the pictures of the feet. Like, which oh, is that's hilarious. Oh, oh. But yeah, yeah, man, like, what a what a brilliant film and what a what a spectacle! Like, there's so much, there's so much to say about this film, and I feel like um, we will add to that next week as well, once we've like learned more about the film and done more of our research. But I feel like we haven't really caught up. We kind of just rolled into this episode, and I enjoyed it. Like, we've had a natural flowing conversation, but. What has everyone been watching, actually? Like, what what is everyone engaged with right now on the site? I um I went to the theater on the weekend. 
Sick. And I saw a play that I think is worth shouting about. And it was actually the last viewing, the last showing. But I think the play was so good, I'm certain it's going to be circulating again soon. It was called, I want to say it was called um, School Girls, colon, the African Mean Girls story. And as you can guess, it is like a reverse Mean Girls, like a fairer skinned Ghanaian girl moves back to Ghana to boarding school and encounters some mean girls and a mean girl comes to her undoing. There's a pageant, all sorts. But it's really funny. And I think generally as a play, it's enjoyable. There's only eight women who play every character in it. There's only the eight characters, but it's really funny. The touch points are great. Juju will enjoy the Ghanaian high life music they play in there, but they generally play a lot of good music, like there's Bobby Brown references and mm. things like that. And it's just funny, Miss, Miss World and Miss Universe references. Like, there's loads about it that is great. And it's great to see, again, a fresh perspective of not just a, uh, like an African story, but an African woman's story and how they were viewed and how they are viewed in the world. Obviously, this is based in the 80s, but a lot of it carries on today to, like, beauty standards and colorism and all of this stuff. And it's done in such a funny way. Like, the entire play is hilarious, but it tackles some really serious subjects. Like, mm. when it comes back out in theatre, I recommend everybody go to see it. I think it was quality. That's amazing. That's amazing. And what about you, Russ? So, me and my girlfriend are currently halfway through the second series of The Bear, which came out uh, last week. Um, and if you've ha- if you've never seen The Bear, you need to correct that immediately and get on Disney Plus and start streaming right now. Tell you top three um, shows the last three years. I mean, Scully's been saying it. It, I, it took me a while to start, but now I'm in it. I love it. I wanna. It made me first and foremost. It made me wanna it cook. But it also yeah. made me want to just kind of actually confront my problems. Because Cammy's such a complex character, and I'm still like in season one, so I'm not entirely sh- sure yeah. how it unfolds. But it's clearly I it's mean, a story, kind of a redemption story for me. That first, I mean, that first series, I remember watching it, and like with each episode, you just kind of like cementing it as like something so fresh in TV because it is just mm-hmm. like here's like a comedy shorter form it's like 25 30 minute episodes but really kind of thematically deep but mm. just also well executed from it and like you know both from kind of like the filming perspective like the direction and also like the performances are great and oh yeah I mean like the problem I have with watching it now is I I cook and we've eaten, and then we start watching it, and then I just immediately want to eat more and more and more. <laughs> and the, I think I think the difference you'll see between season one and season two, Jude, is that mm-hmm. actually the characterization is so much deeper, like already like three or four episodes into series two, that like I'm so excited to see kind of how it progresses. Like it's just so good. Like it's just an amazing piece of TV. Um, so I'm I'm also trying to do my best not to binge it. Because mm. I feel like I could very quickly just watch all the episodes in one go and then 
kind of not let it kind of not savor it yeah so i'm trying to relax so i'm on we finished episode five i think so about halfway through so we're trying to take it slow because i want it to last a bit longer because it, it you mm-hmm. know it's just so good and it's um it's just so unique you know we talked a bit last week about it when we were talking about the emmys and stuff as well and what we yeah. were hoping to get some some wins and actually those nominations are only for season one so if it doesn't win this time around season two it's got to surely yeah. um and I'm just looking back through some like kind of just like my letterbox and stuff as well to see what I've been watching like since we last kind of spoke. Please, uh, Mission Impossible, letterbox. Dead Reckoning. Oof, I still gave need to do that. Gave that one a go. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to say too much on that one because I think we've got that earmark for a pod potentially in the future. So I won't say too much and give you guys a chance to catch up. All I will say is it's, you know, it gives you everything you'd probably expect from a Mission Impossible movie, but I think it is a step down following Fallout. Um, sad to hear, oh, but yeah, I think I'll enjoy yeah, it really anyway. Forward to it. Can mm. I just say, Ross, I, I stalk your letterbox, um, Ross. I, I, I really like your reviews. They're very in-depth. Um, you're better than me. Thank you. I normally leave like one-word reviews, just like, excellent. Worst film I've ever watched it's- in cinema. One it depends. It, although, it depends though, doesn't it? Because sometimes you, you see a movie and you, you just kind of like, you feel like you want to open up more or you have more to say. I watch yeah. so much shit where it's just like, I write like five words or like a sentence. Like, yeah, this is like shit. Yeah, I get I'd it. I watch paint dry, something like that. Um, I yeah. try to always write something like um, unique about a film. I always want to invite people to see it from the perspective that I have. But... Um, yeah, sometimes I'm just happy watching a film and enjoying the experience. It could have even been really touching, but I might not have anything to say on it, like anything large to say. Or then I might go for a longer form, um, a longer form type of uh, review. So, for instance, Till, like I spoke about it last week, but that's a film I haven't really spoken about to many people. Yeah, and um. But I reviewed it in like full length, but it's just a film that I'm probably not going to talk about ever again unless like the occasion rises. So yeah, like I hear you guys. And also, TJ, what have you been watching? Sorry, Russ, carry on. Um, yeah, no, no. I was, I was only going to say, if I could just quickly interject, was um, mm-hmm. I think also like this kind of idea that we constantly, if we see something, you have to write something long form, like immediately, you know, I think that's kind of also the thing, you know, even from like, Barbenheimer from the weekend yeah. everyone is so quick to get all of their thoughts out on page and you know on the page so fast so they're the mm-hmm. first ones or they, they so it's out there in the moment I think people just need to be able to kind of just digest and have a few days take a week before cool. you actually have to dive into something I hear it that's why I'm waiting to until I watch Oppenheimer again um to give my full letterbox review um yeah without us snake Anyway, huh? <laughs> no, man. Anyway, um, what have I been watching? Just Grey's, Grey's Anatomy at the minute. Um, I'm on season three now, uh, moving through it, moving through it really fast. Um, Love Island soon ends, so that means I've got a spare hour a day to watch something else. So I can't wait. Um, even though I've not watched Love no, Island for a couple of days, I'm not watching Love Island for no, a couple of days. It. But um, yeah, I went through all the Nolan films last week, all the ones that like. I didn't really remember, apart from the following, because I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, so I went through The Prestige, um, Inception, Interstellar, um, 
What else did I watch? I didn't watch Dunkirk because you know me and war films. Although I'm going to give a war film a try after the pod. I feel like you should watch Dunkirk, man. It's so I'm good. Gonna, I'm going like, to give, give 1917 a try because it's a Sam Mendes film. Listen, a big Sam Mendes that's fan. the thing. Dunkirk, 1917, for me, they sit alongside each other in terms of okay. brilliance. And then the other the other like film that is similar to it that I actually think is better than both of them is All Quiet on the Western Front. I was all talking about like um at at the cinema, remember? So yeah, I would definitely suggest Yeah man, you have to do those films. You have they're top like tier. They're top tier. I, like I don't love it because I'm like, yeah, I don't love more films that show something new. I think the thing with Nolan, and obviously we'll talk about it more next week, is it's about the way he uses different techniques in terms of cinematography and sound and all of this to craft films. And But yeah, we'll talk about it more next week. I don't want to say any more right now. I would just like to say, though, I finished today, I was watching... If you know me, and I don't know if I spoke about it in our group chat, but there was a pilot I watched last year called Dreaming While Black, which was a BBC pilot by... A writer who's like a couple of years older than me and wanted to get his first, like, he wanted to get his first show, pilot, writing, whatever, off the ground. Uh, BBC allows him to do a pilot. The pilot was hilarious. I advise everybody to watch it. And I think if you watch it, you'll be sucked into watching the entirety of the show. The full show dropped, six episodes dropped on iPlayer. I've watched it over the last two, three days where I've been ill. And it was just as funny as I remember it says some really smart things about what it's like to be a creative. Like, I think you resonate it on, with it on many different levels. Like, if you're creative, uh, if you're black, and I think even though the main character is a man, there's certain commentary it makes about being a woman in the workplace as well. Like, there's just lots of touch points again. So I highly recommend it, and I'm looking forward to um, season two. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. That is the pilot really, really impressed me, and I'm glad that they, you know, funded uh, a full season. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. And as for me, what I've been watching is um, we had a brief discussion about like our watching habits. I'm probably gonna ask this like on our Twitter account and maybe our Instagram because I want to understand how other people watch things as well. Maybe I'm just a weird guy, but. I watch so many things at once and I'm currently watching the bear Barry every now and then succession. It has been kind of parked off, um, hijack and a few animes. But the thing that I'm probably enjoying the most, it's actually, it's a toss up between secret invasion and, um, hijack. Like hijack is, it's just had me gripped, man. Like, um, Idris is cooking. The story is literally, it's built up to, it's built up to a point. I, I literally don't know what the fuck's going on. Still, I don't know what's happening. An episode is probably dropping in like two hours ish. And yeah, man, I'm just thrilled and excited for that one. And, um, yeah, I think Ross is probably the only person, other person up to date. I mean, I've, I missed last week's episode because I was in Newcastle, like, travelling up and down. So you just said it then. I was like, holy shit, I've still got an episode of Hijack to watch. But if you've not watched Bad. it, you, because it's just, it's it's one of those things where 
Idris Elba, like, he, he's doing these films, and like, so I watched Beast the other week as well. And he's he's sort of in that Liam Neeson territory of doing like sort of mad action films, but there is a decency and a sincerity to them that like they they're good, they're kind of fun, you know, not like just terrible like mm. Liam Neeson sort of kind of succumbed to. And I think that's the thing with Hijack is like it's just mad. <laughs> it is absolutely crazy. Like the first episode is crazy. <laughs> like and like by the end of the episode, I was kind of furious by like what kind of happened but like you're just watching it and it's sort of like you have to watch the next episode because you cannot believe what has just happened yo no for then, real yo, yo. i want to i can't i don't want to ruin it because like if you've not seen it like it is so mad like you'll watch episode one and you'll come to us and be like you, you've got to be fucking kidding yeah like, no, for real. Start. we all have to get on board on that one but you know I also, I just wanted to say, you can never be in a Liam Neeson zone because, boy, you know his his type of zones are different, fam. The way he's working, <laughs> what, he, what he's what he's dealing with is, is something else. Did he go um, into Liam Neeson zone? You have to leave the podcast. No, <laughs> you, you, honestly, you need therapy like immediately. That's a literally call one one one. Get some advice. Who are you talking to immediately, bro? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, He's got a new film coming out, by the way, and that that is going to be the next short straw. It has to be. Someone's <laughs> going to have to go see that movie. Do you know what? That film looks kind of like Speed slash Taken slash. Yeah, was it like there's a bomb in his car and he's 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 not allowed to he's he not allowed to stop one and he can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally Speed and Taken. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm willing to watch it because it's so fucking no. ridiculous. No, he's in the I'm darkest. Really in the uh, he's in the darkest space, bro. He's just doing these films about about kidnap, about crime, and he's killing people. But you know, he probably wants all of the bad people to just be black guys, so he could just be killing them <laughs> anyhow. Like no, but no, but seriously, and I, I honestly think there's a lot of actors that. It's like they're typecasted, but they want to be that guy. It was like we were talking about um, The Walking Dead and um, my man's brother, Daryl's brother. You yeah, know, the, the guy, yeah, yeah the guy yeah, that yeah, epitomizes yeah. racism whenever he dons that character. Like The other I, person who does that, by the way, you know, the ginger from Breaking Bad, the one who's in Killers of Flammy. Oh, Jesse yes, Fletcher? yes, uh, yes. Just he's, he's, he's phenomenal. Racism oozing out of his purpose, bruv. I can't like, lie. Breaking Bad. When he's in Breaking Bad, I was thinking, bro, I like this guy. He's a good actor, man. He's just putting it on. <laughs> no, he's got I won't have Jesse Clemens like that. No, no he's, honestly, he's, 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 he's a nice guy. No, no I'm sure he is. Nice. But he's acted as too many racists now. Him and, oh, who's the other you? Oh, what's the film that I saw mm. recently, yeah? Oh, what I'm saying? I'll come back to it. Boy, if, boy, if Holbrook, I woke up, guy in Indiana Jones. That's yes, what you're thinking yes, of. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what we Those two play racist so much, yeah. I'm starting to look at them sideways and be like, yo, bro, you're enjoying this a lot, Listen, bro. All I'm saying <laughs> too much. Is, is if I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm, I don't know, I'm in a forest somewhere and Jesse Plemons is giving a speech, or whatever speech that is, I'm probably riding for it. You get what I mean? <laughs> like, is it easy? Gives that type of authority. He's a great actor, by the way. So he is fantastic. Yeah, man, he's such a good actor. Damn. But yeah, yeah man. I wanted to make a. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make a point, by the way, Jude. Like you said, is it weird the fact that you watch multiple things at once? 
do you not just think that's how we just you know that is how we used to consume media that is the how TV we shows yes. would be yeah. weekly so you yes. would be watching about five or True. six shows every yeah. week like monday tuesday wednesday oh no, you're watching it, a different drama it's no, just the fact that now everything right. drops at once on streaming so actually like maybe most people now would say that you're weird because mm-hmm. they watch everything in one go they watch a 10 hour you know 10 hours of tv in one day i finished that series bang boom no it's no. actually the traditional yeah. aspect is you watch four or five things at once and you're just following all these different stories. Yeah, no, you're completely right. I feel like, yeah, this is kind of how my brain works. Like, I'm tapped into so many different things, so many different channels that it, feel, it feels good to kind of spread it across. And the reason why I like doing that oh. specifically, <laughs> the reason why I like, <laughs> I like doing that specifically is because sometimes I might be watching something and that, that idea or whatever relates sharply to the other thing. So the last comment I'll even make on our whole Barbenheimer experience, the one thing I really loved about it is it showed like a full kind of macro micro level of morality in both films. And we're the type of people to do that in one day for other people doing that is probably too much, but not, not so much for us. And what I mean by the, the macro micro, levels of morality it felt like it felt like Oppenheimer was dealing with morality in a macro sense it's looking at the wider world about what humanity should do in order to better itself like one decision could lead to tens of millions even billions of lives at too stake. Much whereas <laughs> sorry but whereas you've got Barbie and then you've got like the micro sense of the morality where it's much more thinking about the individual and it's thinking about the ideas that have been extended on us through society and how we use those to kind of fix and prop ourselves up. And like, yeah, man, it's just so wide, wide and so exciting to me. And I feel like if I didn't do both films on that day, I wouldn't have understood that in that sense of it being like a, very morally heavy day when it comes to film, you know? And yeah, so I try to be like that with my TV shows as well. I like watching a spread of things. Like I could do a documentary on Oppenheimer tomorrow and then watch a Netflix documentary or start a documentary on physics to, you know, work alongside each other. That's kind of how I like splitting up content. But yeah, man, I think that might be... Is that all? I think that's, that's all? a good note to finish. That's all. We're teasing up Oppenheimer. No, this is the light that we've talked about this week. Next week we the can see the dark side. I love it. The I love dark. it. Yeah, man. The light and the dark side. Man. Part Two, brought to you by Scully, I believe. We've been rotating hosts every week. Yeah, it's me. Yeah, you know. Episode 13. Can you do something for me? And listen, listen. Can you jump a bomb on the upstand for me? No, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I didn't mean to dance to that. I didn't mean to dance to that. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen, two two things. We can't drop certain bombs because obviously I've been there with my girl. And um, also, um, I'm just going to... We're going to fade out this week with this. You're so dumb. Um... <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna fade out that come on everyone laughed at that man if you got the reference you got the reference <laughs> uh we're gonna fade out this week on this when i'm gonna play it fully 
and then next mm-hmm. week that's how we enter so it's like a continuation okay, okay. i'm hearing it i'm hearing uh, it. any last words before, hearing I, before, I do play the, before i do play the spoiler alert um i'd like to ask what everyone is going to watch this week obviously you watch we are watching i'm going to start the bear season two i'm watching with t so i need to get that i need to watch mission impossible i've got a few yep. things and to watch those, and obviously, Secret Invasion ends. We've got stuff stacking up now. Yes, yeah, the Secret up. Invasion episode, and I think that show is crazy. You know what? I'm a, you I'm know, a I've got a movie subscription that I'm not abusing. Someone just was like, Hey, Jude, you like films? I like films. I've got a movie uh, membership. Use it. I want you to use it. And I was like, Oh, thanks, man. Sick. I really appreciate you. And I haven't used it as much as I should have. So I'm going to go in there and look for some artsy-fartsy film and be like, hey, I watched that. And then I might go, I don't know, stand outside CSM (laughs) and just act like I'm a, you know, I'm the art guy. Okay. What are you going to watch, Ross? (laughs) Well... I tell you what does come out this week is Talk to Me, the kind of new A24 horror movie. So I'm going to be trying to get to that as soon as I can. And I know that you pussy holes won't because you're too scared. Um, no, June, if, you want, if you want something to watch on movie though, Return to Soul is up there now. That's on my list. That's meant to be one of the best okay. films of the year so far. Sick. I think I mentioned the other week, One Fine Morning. Still not you watched did? it. But yeah, there's a bunch of new stuff on there. Return to Soul and One Fine Moment. Morning. I'm gonna. Uh, is actually yeah. playing in the cinema next week. Oh, so that. Yeah, they might have brought it back because it played earlier this year, but then, um, but then obviously because it's small art house, it disappears. But it might be back out for a limited release. I'm oh gonna watch. What am I gonna watch? I think I'm gonna watch. Um, I'm gonna watch some war films, man. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna try and get over my disdain for them. That's what I'm gonna try. I need to watch um, Breaker as well. Cool. You know that film, the Japanese Korean film. I think it's called Breaker. Yeah, I know which and one you're on about. Bro- yeah, Broker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broker, the one with um, so. the one with um, uh, Song Kang Ho. I need to watch that ASAP, and I also need to watch that film they teased in the cinema. Saw the trailer. I did really well in Cannes. Past Lives. No. Past lives, I am gonna see as well, but Snapper, Slapper, Slapper, something like that. The the it was looking very British. It was looking very British. Oh, the one with um the one with uh, the the one with the dad and the, the one with the dad the and with the, the with the daughter. Yeah, and she was wearing the West Ham kit. Oh yeah, yeah the one that you can't see, Jay. CJ was like, "What is this shit? Ram. This is rubbish." Said, she I never she hasn't that. she hasn't changed her shirt in like three weeks. That's what you said, bro. She reminded me of one of them people that I went what? center with. I felt instant empathy, bro. And this guy was here cussing her because she wasn't wearing like, her, like washing her one shirt. What why is she done? It's a hard shirt as well. Shrimp. Anyway, cool. I'm gone. <laughs> what the hell? We're gone. Sports Social Podcast Network.